Musician Tracy Bonham rose to fame in 1996 with her hit single, Mother, Mother. Bonham says a lot of her early music was driven by anger, but her sound today is fueled by joy. I'm George Boraki, and this is Cityscape. Over the past several years, Tracy Bonham has been busy teaching music to kids at the Brooklyn Preschool of Science. She's also now a mom and has recently released a new children's album called Young Maestros Volume 1. Tracy Bonham, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you for having me. So you were born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Eugene, Oregon. You are now in New York. How important was music to your upbringing? I mean, it was everything. Um, Not only was I born into a musical family, Growing up in Eugene, Oregon, being in the same town as the University of Oregon, there were just so many um, programs and and teachers to take advantage of. And, and um, you know, they had a string program uh, early on in elementary school. And, and you know, there were just so many great teachers um, for just anything I was interested in, which was a lot, you know, I wanted to sing, I wanted to play violin, I wanted to play piano, I wanted to act, I wanted to be in musical theater. And everything was available for me. And I also think my mother uh, made sure that, you know, I was in the in the, you know, right place and and getting me involved in lessons and, and all those programs. So what does it mean to be in a musical family? Who in your family was musical? Well, it starts, I think, with my my grandfather, uh, Ralph. We called him Dan Dan because um, my sister couldn't pronounce grandpa. <laughs> so Dan Dan was really uh, a self-taught musician, but just lived for music. Um, played the clarinet, played the trumpet, uh, could have been a professional whistler even. And he just, he had music on all the time. He could have sworn that there was a wrong note in the Barney Miller theme every time they watch Barney Miller. He there was arguments in the family that there's no wrong notes. You know, he was really passionate about music. He'd sit down next to me when I was practicing and he'd want to whistle along. So that's kind of where I got the bug. And he also was very funny. And so I think I tend to think of humor uh, a lot when I'm writing. Um, but then my mother, uh, so that would be her father. Um, my mother, Leanne, she became a musician and she was involved in the um, Oregon Shakespearean Festival. So she was a, a singer uh, in the Shakespearean Festival and then she went to get her music education degree. So um, she you know, was always playing you know, guitar, piano and gorgeous voice. I saw her on stage when I was you know, so young and I just, watched her. She'd had the leads in the um, musical theaters in the Eugene um, community theaters and stuff. And I would just say, okay, well, that's, that's what I want to do. I'd help her with her lines and her dance moves. But I was like, that's what I'm doing. So you mentioned that you were interested in so many instruments. How many do you play? <laughs> do you count spoons? <laughs> sure. Just, I do. I don't play. <laughs> I don't play. Um, I guess, uh, well, I, I sing, I play guitar, I'm self-taught on the guitar. Um, I was classically trained on the piano and I was classically trained on the violin. And I went to college playing violin. You got a scholarship to USC for violin, right? Right, oh, you've done your homework. Um, I did, I got a full scholarship and that was incredible. What a great opportunity to go down to USC, 
to be in that conservatory environment. And I studied with um, a woman named Alice Schoenfeld. It was really amazing. You had what you've called an overnight success story. Talk to us about your road to the music industry. Well, yeah. So I was a musician all my life um, and a performer all my life. But I started writing songs rather late in my career. I started writing songs in my mid, well, early 20s. By my mid twenties, you know, I'd had I had a few songs. One of them being "Mother Mother," which happened to be the song that um, most people might know me uh, by. Um, by the age of twenty-seven is when I had my first album come out, and I really, I really only had a handful of songs when um, when I was getting the record contract. So, to me, it felt like overnight. Um, in that in that milieu because it was you know I'm writing rock songs now and then all of a sudden boom it just it resonated with people and then boom I'm touring the world and I'm on MTV and it was it was it seemed sudden you mentioned MTV mother mother was featured on MTV and your mom was in that video wasn't she yes vacuuming um, a horribly colored like a green carpet I think so what was it like for you to make that jump? Here you are all of a sudden touring, doing all of this. Um, you know, I was a born performer, so that that was that was easy. That was, you know, I'd been playing with my rock band um, in the Boston scene, and, and that was um, fun. And, and I knew I had some energy that made, you know, that my audiences really feel something. Uh, so then when I was fortunate enough to start touring and, and playing around the world for different audiences. I mean, that was incredible because I got to see the world. Um, I got to go all over the globe and meet amazing people and, and see what worked for other, you know, gosh, for other, um, for, you know, just other places around the world, like what they resonated with. And, it, you know, a lot of those shows back in the 90s, I was, you know, it was a fiery performance. I was pretty angry, you know, but, you know, interestingly, like I would play for audiences in Germany and they'd be, they'd say things like, well, why are you so angry? You know, <laughs> and, you know, comments that I'd hear from people in Austria or Japan or whatever. It, I just found it fascinating taking notes and tallies of what worked and what didn't work for different cultures. What was inspiring you at that time in your music? Anger. <laughs> and I didn't want to, well... Okay, so I figured this out finally, is that I don't, I don't like conflict in my life. And because music was my real, my first language as far as expression, that's the natural place I would go. So when I started writing songs, all of this anger came into my songs and it was stuff that I couldn't say to my ex-boyfriend or I couldn't say to my mom. I mean, that's the whole thing about Mother Mother is that I couldn't, I couldn't, express myself in my daily conversations. I've, I've had a really hard time working with communication in my life. What was it like for you as a woman coming up in the music scene in the 90s? That was challenging. Um, you know, they pitted us to get, um, the industry would pit us against each other. Um, I'd often walk into a radio station and I could just feel, you know, there, there was a such a male, you know, dominated industry. Um, and whether it was comments, hearing comments like, oh, well, we already have another um, Alanis Morissette, or we already have this, there's only room for one of you, that it felt very um, 
divisive and also competitive. And I, I fell into that a little bit. I remember myself feeling a little competitive. Um, it was hard not to. Um, when Lilith Fair came around, um, I was asked to perform Lilith Fair, uh, and I didn't want to do it because I didn't. I didn't like that whole thing of like it's either all female or all male. I just I didn't. I wanted it to be that there was it was seamless. But I was asked. You know, Sarah McLaughlin actually called my house and she asked me. You know, personally, she wouldn't take no for an answer, and I went ahead and did it. But and so that was my first experience of feeling like okay wait a minute it's okay we're on the same stage i kind of lost a little bit of my competitive uh streak at that time even though you know lilith fair was that that moment of like female artists kind of taking the helm and then cut to just after that the pendulum swung so far the other way again and it was men only and um it's it's been frustrating ever since the beginning for me and I think for other women as well. What are your thoughts on where the music industry is today? Well, it's unrecognizable, which is kind of great in a way. Um, artists have more control. Uh, gone are those big, um, you know, record companies. At least in my world. I mean, I'm sure they're still out there. I know, but um, not having to have the middleman, um, the guy, mostly men, um, who are writing the checks that you'd have to adhere to. You'd have to figure out what they wanted. And that for an artist is really, um, it it's frustrating because you just want to make your art and you don't want to have to go get it approved by someone who's going to cut the check to make it happen. So these days artists um, have the freedom. They can also make their albums more affordably. They can make them at home um, and they can put them out on, you know, any medium now and, and, you know, I wouldn't say it's easy uh, to to have a, a hit, but um, and I think it's completely different, but I think it's exciting. You've worked with artists like Nicole Atkins and Rachel Yamagata. What are among your favorite collaborations? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it then it takes me to a place where I totally let down that competitive streak. And it was the 20th anniversary of um, my first album, which was The Burdens of Being Upright. And I re-recorded that album and I called it Modern Burdens. And I asked seven female artists to come and record their vocals on my songs. And so that as a whole was my favorite collaborative uh, endeavor because well, it was an ego boost because um, the women were like, oh, I loved your first album. And of course, I would, you know, it was a really nice feeling that, you know, some of my favorite artists were inspired by my album. But the fact that we all became this, this um, kind of like this, you know, for, for that time, it was so encouraging and everybody was so supportive of each other. And I wanted to lift them up by, you know, promoting their track on my album. And it just all of those um, experiences with all of those songs, seven out of the 12 songs, um, I, I just felt so honored to be, um, you know, to have these women on my album and that they were so excited about it. You're teaching music now. What inspired you to become a music educator? So I had really, when I got off the road with Blue Man Group in, I think it was 2006, um, I was wanting to get off the road. There was a lot of touring and I wanted to slow things down. I was 
thinking about starting a family. And one way to make some cash on the side while I was at home was to teach private lessons. So I was teaching violin or piano or vocals. And I found that as I was teaching these young people, and also as I had had many discussions with grownups all over the world that I toured with, a lot of people had told me, gosh, I wish I had a, a teacher that um, didn't, you know, bore me or didn't scare me away or didn't discourage me. There's so many stories that I had heard where, you know, the teacher would be, be too strict or, you know, be too critical and it would scare people off or, or they'd stop taking lessons. And I vowed that to, to not ever uh, discourage anyone and to encourage not only the dis discipline, which I really love music theory and practice and dedication, but I also want to nurture that sense of joy. And I felt like, you know, this is what these people were complaining about, that, that, that there was a serious lack of joy. And I certainly went through so many um, books and books and um, songbooks and, and repertoire and stuff. And I just found that while it was great to have that technique and to study your instrument, there, there needed to be more material out there that combined music theory and etudes and, and, and practice with conjuring, stirring up that, that sense of joy. And I think that brings me back to where Dan Dan, my grandpa, added the humor in things. And I often feel like for kids, humor uh, is engaging and it gets you know, kids, you know, like they don't even realize they're learning, which is so fun. And um, having that material, well, what I'm saying is I started creating that material. I didn't find that there was much out there that combined all of those things, a sense of fun and a sense of learning. So I started writing these songs that were music education based, much like Schoolhouse Rock made learning about politics and grammar fun. You recently debuted your first children's album based on your approach to music education. It's called Young Maestros, Volume 1, featuring 11 songs. Talk to us more about this project. Yeah. Well, I had, you know, started writing these songs um, about music theory and just teaching them. But, and then I, I, I had a bunch of songs that I wanted to record and so I collaborated with a good friend of mine and also a colleague. Um, his name is Josh Margolis. He um, runs something called the Gowanus Music Club, which is kind of a school school of rock based, but but a little um, I would say a little more artistic and a little more authentic. And um, in Brooklyn, we were um, collaborating together, and we went into the studio together. And he and I co-produced these songs that I had laying around. And we we recorded these songs and I couldn't quite find a time to release them because I always had another Tracy Bonham album to put out or a tour or, you know, somebody would say it's not the right time. And I was a little bit cold feet too because I, I didn't want to just become a children's artist and leave the Tracy Bonham thing behind. So I sat on it for a long time. I had a whole album and I actually have more and more um, material. That's why I'm calling it volume one. Um, but then when COVID started, started um, when I was on the airplane home from a West Coast tour on March 15th, 2020, uh, um, you know, I just finished a West Coast tour with my bassist, Renee Hart, and we knew, you know, March 15th, 2020, that 
our lives would change drastically and that live shows, you know, it, it might be a while until we tour again. Um, I had a handful of Tracy Bonham songs that I wanted to release or record and release, but then I thought, you know what? I think we need to switch gears and I need to release this album of kids music. I'd been teaching um, for the last seven years at this preschool and, and I just felt like I wanted something for preschoolers or, or um, elementary students to really sink into. I wanted to create online content because I knew that, you know, due to COVID and remote learning, this would be the time to really um, dive into this new world. It's completely new to me. And I also just feel like kids right now need need music education, but they also, they just need something real, um, uh, you know, to, to help them through this time, but also to kind of to send them on the world of, of learning and, and, and joy. Cause uh, you know, I think that this last year has been pretty challenging for the young people too. How different was your approach to this project compared to your other music and your other projects? Well, gosh, my other projects would just be like make an album figure out a way to release it and tour. So that see, that's the formula that I was really, really used to. But this, with everything going remote and, um, you know, my, my partner, my musical partner, Renee Hart, my bassist, um, he brought this element of visuals. Um, he's a, he comes from an artistic family too. So, and he knows a lot about computers and technology, which I don't. This has been a real learning experience for me. We taught that first summer of 2020, we taught hundreds and hundreds of um, online classes with this material. Um, Renee has been, you know, basically the, uh, the director of the, the three videos that we released for Melodian Music House. Um, and we're continuing to make content, video content, to release into the world, to use during lessons. We're trying to create... Um, a learning management uh, system, LMS, I've learned. So this is all new to me, and, and um, it's super exciting. And I know a lot of people are taking advantage of this, you know, with COVID, you know, people had to really reinvent themselves. And so this is just another story of that, where I feel like um, reinvention was absolutely necessary. As we mentioned, there are 11 songs on this album. The first single from the album is called Me Symphony. Tell us about that song. I lost my tuba in Aruba. One of the things I like to teach to young people is that you need to be flexible, you know, you don't always have to have everything in place and in order to go out on stage sometimes winging it is a, it's a great you know it's an art in itself so the story of this um is that i tell the story that i lost all my instruments in all of the various places i went around the world i lost my tuba in aruba i lost my piano in indiana um and, you know, I usually get the classes laughing about that idea. I lost my shaker in Jamaica. Um, and then when the song kicks in, it's really all about just going on with the show. Like, okay, I don't have my instruments. I'm standing up here. I've got nothing. I'm totally exposed. But what can I do? Oh, I can use my, you know, body. I can tap a rhythm. I can sing a melody. I can engage an audience uh, just as powerfully as if I had... Uh, you know, everything in place. I 
Tracy Bonham, of course, is out front, but there is a song on this album called Background Singers. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> this song, you know, I don't think this is just for kids. I don't think this entire album is just for kids. It's really for, for music enthusiasts and, you know, of all ages. That's what I like to say. Um, so Background Singers is about um, a lead singer who has been locked in the closet by her background singers because <laughs> they've had enough of her and her yeah 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 you know trying to take the you know the limelight you know and uh you know background singers they they don't they don't get enough attention so they lock her in the closet she's actually singing from the closet she's like i i don't know why you know i don't know if you can hear me somebody locked me in the closet and i can't find the key did you hear something please get me out of this And then what you hear are the background singers responding to her in their harmony um, and in, just ignoring her basically um, in the song and then they start to communicate together. The, the lead singer in the closet says, oh, I get it. I guess you are underpaid and the, the background singers respond like, shoot, yes, absolutely. Um, so then the lead singer has this moment of coming around and saying okay let's work together and they let her out of the closet and you can hear part of the song where she's finally out <laughs> on stage with the background singers and they're singing together and they're working together so not only is it just a funny um scene and, and i totally envision like a muppet show or puppets um doing some kind of work with this video maybe but uh it's a it's a message of of working together if anger drove your early music what emotion or emotions would you say drove this music joy <laughs> i love that it's possible that you can feel all of those things i mean you know, and, and to express it in music. What about I like big beats? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a goofball. So um, I came up with the idea to borrow um, Sir Mix-a-Lot's I like, well, it's not called I like big butts, but it's called Baby Got Back. <laughs> and um, I started toying with the idea where I would um, just change the change the lyrics of this. I like big beats and I cannot hide all the pleasure that I get inside from hearing that old snare drum, the one that goes like cat. Uh, so then I just I focus on four pieces of the drum set and I teach what the bass drum sounds like and then. I teach what the snare drum sounds like, I teach what the tom-toms sound like, and I teach what the hi-hat sounds like, and then I put it all together at the end. But, um, you know, basically, when, when that song came around, I, I just, I was, it was kind of a goof. 
but then I, I realized there's some value in it. And I just, you know, I've had kids come in and, and realize what song I'm ripping off. And I wonder if the parents are going to be mad at me <laughs> when they go home and they start singing the other lyrics. But so far, no complaints. And so far, people, and, and especially the parents, when they hear the song or they overhear it, or maybe a teacher in a classroom overhears it, I'm getting good reviews. I'm, I'm, I'm getting teachers laughing and smiling. So that's a good thing. You have one song on the album that's a mere 36 seconds. Is that right? Oh, a song without an ending. Yeah. I, I learned, let's see. I learned what the word prosody meant lately. And, and, and I, um, so I attached prosody uh, to the meaning. Well, so when, when something uh, represents exactly what it is, um, hard, to, hard to define prosody, but this is a song without an ending. Literally, it has no ending. And I get to the end and I say, somehow my author, I should have said composer, forgot to write my <laughs> and then I leave it there and in the class if I ask the kids to listen really listen I will ask them you know what do you think happened and it takes them a while to figure it out I have to do it again and then they finally get it and they say ending <laughs> and it's I love ending the uh, the whole album like that as well A song without an ending. Oh, how, oh, how will I feel complete now? Somehow, my author forgot to write my. Talk to me more about what learning the fundamentals of music can do for a child as they develop in life. You know, learning the fundamentals of music is so valuable for children. It, it engages all parts of their brain. Um, you know, I don't like to say this out loud, but there's a mathematical component. Um, so, you know, it, it engages the, that side of the right side of the brain, the left side of the brain with expression. Um, it's, builds confidence for sure. It shows them, like for me when I was young, that there is a mode of expression out there um, if maybe everyday expression is challenging or difficult. Um, and then, you know, in this particular program with Melody Music House, I think that it, um, the educational aspect is great. It builds confidence, but it also gives up a platform for expression and, and joy. And it's also, the last thing I'll say about it, is that music is a connector. So music um, can help you feel, so you connect to your own feelings. Um, and then it helps you connect to the world around you, it connects you to others. Um, I often talk about how we need to listen to things that might not be obvious, you know, musical, um, you know, sounds but that that can be music too you know the whole life is a symphony so i think just it opens up their perception and their perspective and they can take in um you know a, a way to look at the world and listen to the world and 
make it as creative as they want. What's your advice for young people coming up in the industry today? It's changed. This advice thing has changed over the years. I would always be reluctant to say, well, you know, um, go for it, be an artist, um, you know, because I was thinking more on the lines of like that. It's really hard, you know, uh, and there's, you know, the, the success stories are, are far and few between. I have totally changed my perspective on that, especially in the last couple of years, realizing that there's so many messages of fear and hate and ignorance out there. And it's sometimes dominating the airwaves. Sometimes that's all, you know, a couple years ago, maybe not that long ago, you turn on the radio and all you would hear is um, messages of, of fear and ignorance. And so now I encourage any young person to become an artist because, you know, we need an artist's perspective and a voice. And usually, you know, I assume that if someone wants to be an artist, I'm assuming it's not coming from a fearful or hateful place. I'm assuming it's a desire to connect with themselves and then with others. So that message or those messages from artists, young artists, I think really need to be heard. And we also need to listen to our young people. So I just feel like the more artists there are out there now, hopefully tipping the scales towards messages of love and connection and respect and, and yeah, justice even, um, I think that would be a really good thing for the world. Tracy Bonham, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I like big beats and I cannot hide all the pleasure that I get inside from hearing those old tom-toms, the ones that go like boom ba dum ba dum Tracy Bonham's latest album is called Young Maestros Volume 1. Find her online at tracybonham.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening.